having stage four pancreatic cancer, I've done a lot of thinking about death and about heaven. Um, honestly, it's been a wonderful blessing pondering what it will be like in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. God incarnate, seeing him face to face. We read the Gospels and we say, oh, I wonder what it would be like to be around Jesus, and yet we are going to have that opportunity. Really, it's an overwhelming meditation. But not as overwhelming as it's going to be when we actually stand there and see Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about the moment you are going to see Christ face to face? Have you ever thought about what you're going to say, what you're going to think? It really is amazing. I, I want Susan, I want my grown children, I want my sons-in-law to know that what I will be experiencing uh, if the Lord calls me home will be, will be joy. It will be an incredible blessing. In fact, I want them and you on earth, if that day comes, to be exceedingly joyful. Um, as you grapple with the loss, uh, at the same time remembering the incredible joy it is to be in the presence of Christ. I do believe, as I hope all of you do, or maybe I should say most of you believe, that life continues beyond the grave. That's something, as Christians, we believe. My personal meditation and the scriptural studies that I've been doing, reading some books over a number of months, is something that I want to share uh, now with you, because I know that you have a lot of interest in this topic as well. What happens the moment a believer dies? Some of you have come and you've asked me some questions about um, death and about heaven. Will we remember our life on earth is one question I've been asked. Will we recognize each other there? Will we have bodies? And what will they look like? Will we be able to eat? Some of you like eating. <laughs> will we be able to enjoy hobbies and do fun things? Or is it just going to be one extremely long Sunday worship service? You know, where we sing all of the hymns <laughs> from front to back and back to front a thousand times over. I think we have strange ideas of what heaven will really be like. What will we first see? And there are many other questions like these. I'm really glad to hear the questions because it tells me that you take your faith seriously and you connect it to, connect what you believe now to what is coming then. Um, we are going to spend a lot of time living beyond death. Um, it's going to make our entire lives, even those who live to be 100 years old, we celebrated Sue's father's 90th birthday yesterday, even those that live that long, it's going to make their entire life seem like just a dot compared to how long we're going to be there in eternity. So I hope you can see that death is a profoundly relevant subject. I did some I did some painstaking research, and I found out that the current death rate is 100%. <laughs> 100 out of 100 people die. Unless Christ returns, every one of us is going to die. You, you will die. No one, no one can do that for you. You will do, be doing that yourself. I read about two people die every second. Roughly 259,000 people die every day. 55.3 million people die each year. We only hear of the famous people, it seems, who die, as if they're more important than all the rest of us. But souls are flying out of bodies all the time. If uh, you had angel duty, uh, they, they are well practiced at what to do with those souls. We do try to insulate ourselves from the thought of death. We don't really want to talk about it. But death is true. So we must. The uh, website Medical News Today had an article on deaths in the year 2017. Number one reason for death in the United States of America is, what do you think? Heart disease. Heart disease. 23.5%. Number two reason, cancer. Those are not surprising. 21.3%. Number three reason, 
unintentional injuries, what we call accidents, 6%. They come without anybody thinking they'll come, 6%. That's startling. Um, a surprisingly common cause of death, it talks about in another article called Eight Surprisingly Common Causes of Death. It says this, the Center for Disease Control keeps exhaustive records detailing how Americans die. It's morbid and fascinating. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For example, contact with a powered lawnmower. 951 deaths. Spring is coming, so... <laughs> Be careful. Fall involving ice skates, skis, roller skates, or skateboards. 1,139 deaths a year. Falling from a tree, 1,413 deaths. Contact with agricultural machinery, 4,183 deaths. It's rough on the farm. <laughs> Accidental suffocation and strangulation in bed, 10,206 deaths. It also stated that over 3,000 a year die from fires and a similar number from drowning. There are a lot of ways to go. You've heard of the undertaker who signs all of his letters, eventually yours. <laughs> Sooner or later, death that may be running, we think, far behind us will catch up with us. One thing I tell people is the graveyard is the realest place to be on the planet. If you're tired of all the schmoozing that people give towards one another, you can never quite get the truth, go to a graveyard and stare at the names and the dates and remember that those people that you're reading about, many of them were just like us. You know, they sat in church at one time, just like you're doing now. They did their grocery shopping, raised their kids, went to work, did their chores, and now there they lay. That's, that's you and that's me just a little bit longer. They are real people, just like us. But their time on earth now is completely over, and there will come a time like that for us as well. Dr. Adrian Rogers, the great Southern Baptist preacher, said in his sermon, it was called Five Minutes After Death, he said, there is but a step between me and death. Death is only a faint heartbeat away. Put your hand up there, he said. Do you feel that little heartbeat? That's all there is between you and death. Only one step. He also declared in that sermon, if you are not prepared to die, you are not prepared to live. Interesting. The non-Christian world out there wants to ignore this topic. I, I think that's fair to say. They do mention death. They have to. But they would prefer to change the subject. They move quickly on. It's too unnerving to them. Why? Because their hopes are all bound up in this world, right? Um, Jesus knew about people like that in his day, and he, he taught about the rich fool. Remember him? In Luke chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. And the, the rich fool is talking to himself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, and I like the way the King James puts it, thou fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? There are many such fools right here in the rich United States of America. You guys have read or heard the motto, he who dies with the most toys wins. I'm trying to think, wins what? <laughs> when it comes to death, unbelievers have this illusion, and they say it at a lot of their funerals, that most people are good, and therefore they have gone to what? A better place, right? They keep saying that mantra over and over and over again to cover up 
the reality to cover up their fears. The reality is this. Death is not actually normal for the human experience. It's an intrusion into the human experience because death is a judgment against humanity. And beyond the grave, there's more judgment. The truth of their sin will be thoroughly exposed and the consequences will be meted out forever and ever. So many people are totally unprepared when the moment of death suddenly arrives. Hebrews 9.27 is clear. It is appointed unto men to die once. By the way, that takes care of reincarnation. And after this comes judgment. Death, then judgment. Seems pretty clear. Brothers and sisters, we have to get into our skulls that life down here is temporary. We, we know that, but we have to really understand that and get our lives organized and arranged and set up so that everything is thinking about our movement into eternity. In fact, all of life down here is merely preparation for life on the other side. For believers in Jesus as the Son of God, Paul summarized life and death in that wonderful statement, for to me to live is what? Christ and to die is what? Gain. That's what it's all about. I'm going to live for Christ and then when I die, it's all gain for me. I, that's what I want you to get out of this mini sermon series on what lies beyond the grave. Death is gain for the believer. For the believer in Jesus as the Son of God, if that is you, then death is not to be feared. Death is gain. But why? Why is it gain? Well, let's begin asking some questions about death and get some answers from Scripture and see why it is gain. But I, I want to warn you, we're going to not dive into this subject. We're going to wade into it slowly. Um, I really want us to back up at first, and, and as we wade into the topic, just ask the first question this way. Why do we even want to know what happens after death? Why do we even want to know what happens after death? Well, one reason is uh, just plain curiosity, <laughs> and we like to know things, right? And this is a huge, huge subject, death. Death is mysterious to us. After all, people have been pondering its mysteries for centuries. So uh, we are inquisitive folks, and we want to know. Another reason we want to know is that we have concern for our loved ones who die. What happened to them? We used to be able to visit them in their homes or go by their workplace and see them there, and we were able to have a conversation with them, and we can't do that anymore. Where did they go? Did they pass out of existence? We love people that are close to us, and it's heart-wrenching to lose them. Sometimes when the death is unexpected, they're just gone, and you never get another conversation with them, and that, that's hard. But have we really lost them? You know, the Thessalonian church wanted to know what would happen to their loved ones after death. Let's go ahead and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and read what Paul wrote to them and comforted them with these words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. This is just one of the passages we're going to be turning to as we go all over the New Testament and some portions of the Old Testament and think about this subject of what lays or lies beyond the grave. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 and following, it says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, of course, you realize he's not writing about literal sleep there. He's writing about those that have died. And then he says, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. We are allowed to grieve, but not grieve as those who have no hope. Verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those sleeping, the dead in Christ, will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain 
that is, we're still on the planet here, we haven't died yet, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. And he says in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. So what is Paul teaching in this section? Paul taught that our departed loved ones who are believers, they are with Jesus. For Jesus is going to bring them with him. So they have to be with him, you see. At this time, at the time of the rapture, what is the rapture? The time that all of the believers, the true believers in the Lord Jesus are snatched or caught up out of the world and they meet the Lord Jesus in the air when he's coming back. At that time, we believe right before the tribulation time, caught up into the air, we are going to immediately be with the Lord Jesus, but Jesus is going to bring down from heaven those who have already died in Jesus. And so they've been with Jesus and he's bringing them with him, and we meet them and him in the air. And it says, we will always be with Jesus, which means we will also always be with them. Those are comforting words indeed. Well, another reason we want to know about life after death, and we kind of already highlighted this, and that is that life is very short. 4,000 years ago, Job wrote in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2, Man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. Like a flower, he comes forth and withers. He also flees like a shadow and does not remain. You know how long a flower lasts? Not all that long. I mean, soon, I hope, I think we're already beginning to see a few signs of spring, and we're going to see the little crocus come up and then the daffodils and other flowers like that. And how long will they last? Not all that long. So man's lifespan here in this world is likened unto that of a, a blooming flower. Psalm 144 verse 4 says, man is like a mere breath. His days are like a passing shadow. See how the shadows shift throughout the day. It's gone. That's kind of how life is. In the New Testament, in James chapter 4 and verses 13 through 14, it says, you are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. People have debated what is the vapor that James is talking about there, and a lot of them think it's that sort of mist that comes out over the field early in the morning, you know, about five, six in the morning, there's a little mist that is over the wetter portions of the field, and then the sun comes out, dries it all up, and it's, it's gone. That, again, is a picture of human life on earth. Not all that long from God's perspective. You know, when you're younger, it's kind of hard to believe that. The days seem to go so slowly. And yet when you're older, you realize the days are flying by and you understand it's so much better. It's true. There's not much time left. Things go by quickly. In fact, in that James chapter 4 passage, uh, James had in mind these Jewish businessmen who were boasting about what they were going to do the next day. They were going to travel to such and such a city. They were going to engage in business and make a profit. And James stopped them and said, you don't even know what your life is like. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, I will live, and then I will do this or I will do that. But when we presume on the future, James reveals that as a, well, a rather proud attitude. We have no control over the future at all. God doesn't even usually tell us the day of our death. I mean, there's been a few people that have been told what day they're going to die, but usually the vast majority of us, we don't know what day that is, right? In Genesis chapter 27 and verse 2, I'll just read this one. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and I do not know the day of my death. He didn't know. I mean, Isaac's the child of promise. He didn't know. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 12, it says, moreover, man does not know his time like fish caught in a treacherous net and birds trapped in a snare, so the sons of men are ensnared at an evil time when it suddenly falls on them. In other words, we not only don't know when we're going to die, but sometimes things happen in our lives so quickly, it comes upon us without any warning at all. We're ensnared like a bird, and then we die. That's how little control we have. Some of you are starting to get afraid now, but hang in there because we're getting to the portions about why you should not be afraid. Even if we eat right and exercise right and go to all of our checkups and take the right vitamins and live in a crime-free neighborhood, avoid deadly viruses, we're still going to die. Mark Twain, 
who the world considers so wise, he's credited with uh, this motto. Life is short. Break the rules. Forgive quickly. Kiss slowly. Love truly. Laugh uncontrollably. And never regret anything that makes you smile. That's not all that wise. I think our motto would go more like this. Life is short. Live it in light of God's eternity. That eternal perspective is the only wise one. The Bible constantly is trying to get us to realize you can't put all of your eggs in this world's basket. You have to realize we're moving through. We're, we're moving out. We're not going to be here all that long. That is a hard lesson to learn. We're pilgrims in a foreign land. We're moving towards our home. It doesn't last all that long. Riches in this world are not all that great. Going and fulfilling your bucket list is not that important. There are other things that are more important. You, you can't block eternity out of your mind and live well as a Christian. Yes, it is true that God extended King Hezekiah's life 15 years. We're told that in 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 3 through 6. God is merciful. But you know what? Hezekiah still died. He got 15 more years. That was 2,700 years ago. So he's been up there 2,700 years. He only got 15 years down here. You got the picture? Again, young people, I bet you don't want to talk about death. You don't want to think about it. But older people tell you all the time, there's only two things that are certain in life. You know, death and what? Taxes. Well, there's actually more things that are certain than that. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ is certain. His resurrection is certain. And, you know, the, the promises of God are certain. But, but, you know, you got the point of what they're trying to say. Death is coming. Life forces you to think about death. Maybe the biggest reason we want to know about what happens beyond the grave is fear. Fear. The fear of death grips the entire human race. Let's go ahead and turn to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 talks about the, the fear of death that the devil uses to keep mankind in bondage and then how Jesus broke that up. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that's the Lord Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he, Jesus, might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Verse 15. And might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. The devil has this tool, and it is the fear of death. Here Jesus comes, he takes on the same nature as us, and he defeats death by dying and by being raised from the dead, and he kind of defangs the devil, and he takes away the power of the devil. The devil could intimidate, you're going to die, you're going to die, and now the Christian says, so what? So what? I have Jesus. He has won out over death. You know, Jesus accomplished much for us, so we don't have to have fear of death anymore. We're going to come back to that thought again and again through this, this series. It is true that death is appointed to each one of us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 that we already read states that. It is appointed unto men once to die. In other words, there is a day circled in God's calendar where you will die. He knows it, you don't. But it is appointed. It's fixed, in other words. The things that God fixes in his calendar can't be changed. You know, in Job chapter 14 and verse 5, it states that our days are already determined. How many days are we going to live? We know we'll mark them all out. You know, so no, that's already been determined. You get X number and that's it. You're not going to die before that time and you're not going to die after that time. Psalm 139, verse 16 mentions again, all the days are appointed for me. He personalizes it. We, have, we had no control whatsoever over the day of our birth. I don't know, maybe we did. We kicked a little harder or whatever. We got out one day early or something like that, but really no control. Almost just as little control over the time of our death. You ever think about that? 
You, you don't choose the time when you're coming in. You don't choose the time when you're going out. Sounds like someone else is in charge. The Lord God is sovereign, right? God is sovereign over both. That means there are no premature births in one sense, and there are no premature deaths, right? You know, someone dies when we say, you know, that's such a tragedy. That guy died before his time. No, he did not. He died right on schedule. Everyone dies right on schedule. What's more, we could die at any time. We have no guarantees whatsoever that any of us are going to be back here next Sunday. There is no guarantee from the Lord our God anywhere in the pages of Scripture that says you and I will be back here next Sunday or the Sunday after that. Well, that tr truth may unnerve us, but then we remember Jesus has defeated death on our behalf. Then there's one other reason that we want to know what happens at death. We, we want to know if coming to church and living for Christ and giving money for his cause and giving our time for things that he tells us to do, is all of that really worth it? Now, you might not verbalize that question in church. You don't want anybody to know that's what you're thinking, but there are people that walk away from the Christian faith, and I guarantee you before they did that, they sat in the same place that you're sitting, and they asked themselves some of those tough questions. What am I doing here? Why am I sacrificing all of this stuff in life? Is it really worth it? You know, the greatest chapter in the Bible about the resurrection of the body, the resurrection of dead people out of the grave is 1 Corinthians chapter what? 15, right? It's a long chapter. It's all about Jesus's resurrection and our resurrection and what our bodies are going to be like. A lot of people know that, but what they don't remember is at the very end of that chapter, after talking about the resurrection, the very end of that chapter, the last verse is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, where it says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. In other words, it's all worth it. If you could see eternity for a believer, if you could see how the Lord Jesus rewards those who work hard for him, you would have no doubts right now at all, not only with what you're already giving, but that you should give more. And I mean that in terms of time, energy, talents, money, all of it. Yes, it's worth it. It's worth it because the one we serve appeared to John in the island of Patmos, and he gave what we call the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and he appeared to John and he said, I hold the keys of death and of Hades. You want to know who's in charge of death and who's in charge of the afterlife and Hades? I am. I hold the keys. So it's worth it. Serve that guy. Serve Jesus Christ. So those are some of the reasons that we wade into this topic and think about it. We want to know. Now, the second question we're going to ask is, how can we know what happens after death? We want to know, and we're going to give an answer. <laughs> And then you're going to say, how can we really know that that's, that's the right answer, right? How is, it that we can, how is it that we can find out what happens after death? That's a good question, don't you think? It's not like we can ask a journalist to go and interview someone who already died and made the trip to heaven, you know, and they've been there for a few years, and now we're going to get a little bit of an interview. Tell us, John, how did it feel the moment you left earth? What was it like going through that tunnel of light? When you were talking to Jesus in heaven, what were your first impressions? It's not like we can do that. There is a very interesting and mysterious uh, separation of life on that side from life on our side, right? I mean, here we all are, right? We talk to one another. We can talk as much as we want to one another, right? Get along. How you doing? Doing fine. We have all kinds of ways of communicating. But once they cross through that, no more communication. And I imagine that they can talk with one another all the time, but no communication from there back to here. There's just this, this wall of separation. There's this gulf, and, and, and you can't know what happens. I remember the very moment that my dad breathed his last. I was there with him. I closed his eyes on his deathbed. It was an amazing experience because he was a believer in the Lord. But uh, there was no more communication with dad. That was it. I got three and a half hours to speak with him the night before. I'm really glad I got that time with him.
because we didn't know he was going to die the next day. And then he died, closed his eyes. That's it. Until we get to heaven. That, that's a long time. It was 32 years ago for me. So that's a long time. By the way, if you've got something to say to somebody, you know where I'm going with that. <laughs> you don't want to be like, you know, I meant to tell her. It's too late. It's a long time. You don't want those regrets. I would advise, go say it now. Go say it now, whatever it is you mean to say, particularly if it is that you care for them and care about what they've done, you know? You know, when we take a journey to another country, you can buy one of those, those travel guides, you know, Fodors or something like that, and you can read about, you know, where are the best places to go, get all those tips, you know, places to avoid. You're going to Australia or you're going to India or Costa Rica and you find out, where, am I, where should I stay? What should I eat? Great tips. You don't get a travel guide to the land of heaven. God, for the most part, doesn't want us to know all of those details. It's like he's shut us out in one sense. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4, Paul was writing about himself, but he writes about himself in the third person. And he says, I know a man who is in the body or out of the body, I'm not sure, who was caught up to the third heaven. You say, Three heavens, there's three heavens. Yeah, the first heaven is the sky where the birdies fly. The second heaven is what we call space, where the stars are. And then the third heaven is what we think of when we say heaven. That's why often heaven is in the plural, the heavens. God created the heavens, plural, and the earth, singular, right? So he says, I know this man, and he was caught up into the third heaven, that is heaven, and he heard things that are unutterable, that he's not allowed to speak and say. What does that mean? That means he heard things that he was forbidden from speaking when he came back down here. Wow, God is keeping some things secret from us. He doesn't want us to know. Otherwise, he would have the dead talking to us all the time. Hey, you down there, straighten up. You're messing up. I see you there. You have no idea what you're getting into here, son. Right? They'd be talking. None of that. Actually, there, there's a movie <laughs> called Flatliners. Some of, you, some of you have seen it, I can tell. And it's the story about medical people who, who want to take turns stopping each other's hearts. I do not recommend this at home. <laughs> and then bringing them back to life again after like a couple of minutes. And they start getting longer and longer because they start having experiences and they want to know more and more about death. Don't do this. I mean, that's crazy. But even if somebody did do that, let's just say they did that, who knows if what they experienced we could call reliable, right? Two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, we're going to spend eternity there. What could that really tell you? How easy it would be for fallen angels to play along with the game and give them some interesting experiences just to throw them off. It's a fool's errand, really. There are people that have written books about those that they have interviewed whose hearts stopped and then they were brought back to life by doctors. They had an accident, they drowned, anything like that. Their whole book's written on this and they put all of the stories together and it's kind of interesting. A lot of their stories are similar. A lot of people say they, they saw a light, you know, they went through a tunnel, they had some positive experience, some positive feelings. Some of them say they saw someone, they call it an angel or they call it the Lord Jesus or somebody. But again, we have to ask how... Do we know that what they saw and heard can be relied upon? What can you really learn from just a few minutes? It says and warns in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, that fallen angels, those are demons, if you were to see them, they would not look like they have little red horns on there. And they, you know, have a, the devil has a, a, a little tail sticking in the back and he's holding a pitchfork. They don't look like that at all. What do they look like? They look beautiful. They look glowing. They look like angels of light. It says Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. He's gorgeous, at least to the outward eye. He can look that way. And so how can we trust that? And then, of course, there are people of other religions, and they'll tell you, we know what happens after death. The Eastern thought is sort of like, well, we die and we become one with the universe. You know, we, we achieve nirvana. What's that? The state of perfect nothingness. What's that? Nobody can really say. 
or we get reincarnated. That's not resurrected. We get reincarnated and we take on another living form, maybe an animal or something. Of course, all of this lacks proof. All of them have inconsistencies. Many of them leave unanswered questions. Jesus warned us about false prophets. False prophets will come to you with a label on them saying, I'm a false prophet, right? Wrong. He said they're going to come to you in what? Sheep's clothing. But inwardly they are what? Ravenous wolves. How are you going to know them? By their conduct, by their fruit. You look at them and they're, they're going to say they're good men, but you're going to see they don't have godly fruit. They're going to talk like they know God, but the way they live their life, they don't look like they know God at all. But they fool some people because of that, because of the way they talk. And when a false prophet says something and it doesn't agree with the Bible, it doesn't agree with God, then we know that they are false. We're not supposed to listen to them. Then there are those that say, look, I, I'm, I am so curious about the afterlife. I'm just going to go right to the source. I'm going to consult directly with the dead. I want to find out what happens. I want to know what happened to, to aunt so-and-so or, you know, my, my grandfather. And so they purchase a Ouija board or they, they go to consult a medium or a spiritist. They go down and, and they visit Madame so-and-so on Main Street down there in the very corner. Many of those people have been exposed as frauds. You know, there's a lot of money in predicting the future. People are desperate. They want to know. They'll fork out a little bit of money to find out. They've been exposed as frauds. But let's say that some of them actually do consult the dead. Let's say that something supernatural happens. Let's put it that way. Again, ask the question, how reliable is the information that you're going to get? Is it really dead Aunt Lizzie that has been contacted? Or is this a crafty demon that is impersonating the dead, knows all about the dead person? Remember, demons are just fallen angels have been around for millennia. They're very intelligent. And how would you know the difference? Do you remember King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 28? He desperately wanted to know what was going to happen to him the next day when he rode off into battle. In 1 Samuel 28, he decided to break his own rule in the land and he consulted the supernatural power of a witch in a town called Endor. God decided that he was going to move into this equation and overrule her power. And so when he went to the witch and she started saying what she was going to say, God actually brought up from the dead the prophet Samuel and gave Samuel the chance to offer one more prophecy to King Saul. And it was all about Saul's disobedience. And because of his disobedience, that he indeed would die the next day in battle. In other words, Saul got the death penalty for consulting the dead. You know, in the law of Israel, God forbade any of them to consult the dead. And that tells me that there actually is something supernatural that goes on when that happens. But why, why did he forbid people from going to the dead to try to get their answer? Because God knows that we will not get the truth that way. God knows it is demonic powers that can easily manipulate us and lie against the truth and against him. God knows that way would bring him no glory. Again, I say fallen angels are very smart. They've lived for millennia. They know man and how he thinks very well. They know what human beings want to hear. They feed lies to us in order to destroy us. In Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 11, it says, There shall not be found among you anyone who, and it makes a long list of people that do uh, gross activities, and it comes to this part, it says, Anyone who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. In Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19, it warns, when they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? In other words, God takes offense at this. Why are you not coming to consult your God? Why are you going to the dead and asking them what's going to happen in life? God says, come to me. 
I'm the God of Israel. I will tell you your future. And if I don't tell you something specific, then you don't need to know. So now I ask us maybe the question that should be obvious to all of us. If we do consult God today, where does God tell us about what happens after we die? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. We all know the answer, of course, is the Bible. I want you to see how this comes to us. We're going to consult the Bible to know about the dead. Maybe that's just stating the obvious, but I want you to see something. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, just as it is written, and here he quotes from the Old Testament. He says, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, and which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So we're like, I want to know everything that God has prepared for me. I'm one of those who loves God. But here it says, eye has not seen it, ear has not heard it. What does that exclude? That excludes any kind of empiricism. You're not going to get it that way. And then he adds what we would call rationalism, anything that has entered into the heart of man. In other words, whatever you thought, whatever you imagine, whatever you invent in your own heart, no, that is not the way that you're going to know. The answer comes in verse 10. How are we going to know? For to us, God revealed them. What is the them? All those things that he's prepared for us. God revealed them through who? The Spirit. For it is the Spirit who searches all things, even the depths of God. And then he gives an analogy. He says, look at yourself. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man inside of him? Even so, the thoughts of God, nobody knows except the Spirit of God. So God has secret thoughts, and nobody knows those thoughts except the Spirit of God who searches God, just like your Spirit searches you and knows your secrets inside. Look at verse 12. And then he says, now we, he's talking about believers, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. What is our inheritance? What are we going to get? And the answer is the Holy Spirit's going to communicate that to us. And then in verse 13, he clarifies what he means even by that. Which things we speak. Paul is saying we're speaking the things of the spirit of God not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit. And look at the last part of verse 13. Combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Literally, spiritual with spiritual. That's what we have in Holy Scripture. That's what we have in prophecy. That's what we have in the Word of God. The Holy Spirit has done a complete search of the mind and heart of God, and then He has revealed to us by giving us spiritual words, words that we are to read and reveal to us the very thoughts of God. God has prepared certain things for believers and he reveals them to us through scripture. And that's why we go to scripture. Scripture is truthful. Scripture can be relied upon unlike any of those other methods. Uh, scripture is trustworthy. The one behind scripture is a God who loves us and will never lie to us that will explain to us exactly what happens at death, will tell us everything we need to know and no more because he also knows if we get too much knowledge, that can be harmful to us. And he's a loving God and it's completely reliable. We have inspired words. If we were to think about this theologically, we'd say the Bible is revelation that is given to us in words, inspired word from the very breath of God. And so the Holy Spirit communicates those things to us. Beloved, we know this, but we'll say it again. The Bible gives us the guidance that we need about the afterlife. Scripture tells us what a wise heavenly father wants us to know. The only thing we need to do is we need to make sure that when we come to the Bible, we are interpreting the Bible correctly. Now, when it comes to understanding the afterlife, what that means is we have to make sure that we don't go to just one verse or one group of similar verses that say the same things and then say, ah, you see, it says this about the afterlife, and then block out another group of verses that colors in the picture more. What am I saying? I mean, God has given us in the Bible progressive revelation. When he spoke to the Old Testament saints, he did not reveal to them as much about what happened after death as he has revealed to us in New Testament times. So you might be reading in the Old Testament, and you might be reading about how someone dies and they're described as going to sleep. 
And some people have read that, and that's all they want in their theology. That's where they stop. And they say, you know what happens to us at death? We sleep. That means that we're not conscious. We don't really experience anything. We don't know anything. We just sleep until the time when our bodies are raised from the dead. And that's not true because when you come to the New Testament, there's more revelation that's given and we need to interpret properly and bring that into the equation. There's more that God says to believers. In other words, we use the analogy of Scripture. Scripture always interprets Scripture. We want to bring together all of the verses that pertain to the subject, pull them all together, and then we'll have a proper theology, a proper understanding of what happens to us when we die. That's a lot said, but that approach is very important. Otherwise, we're going to come out with a wrong answer. Now, I want to just get started with the third question. The third question we're going to ask and answer, and we'll continue this next time, is what exactly is death? We want to talk about what happens after death. First, let's look at what death is. There are some religions and philosophies that would have us believe that when we die, we simply pass out of existence. You know, I actually had a high school teacher that taught us in the public schools in Montgomery County the meaninglessness of existence, that there is no meaning at all to our living and our existence. And you don't tell high schoolers that, first of all. I don't know what they were thinking. But that's just not true, is it? But in their minds, death is just the end of life. There is no rhyme or reason to death. It's the end of existence. That is what we would call pure materialism, the denial of any spiritual realities at all, the denial of any spiritual component to life. Life has no meaning. We're just random molecules. There's no designer to life. So if life has no meaning, obviously death has no meaning. It's just the cessation of life. But, of course, the materialist cannot and does not live consistent with his beliefs. He does try to find meaning in life. And by the very search for meaning, he reveals that he knows there is a spiritual reality to life. When he gives meaning of life to his children, he betrays his own beliefs. Yes, the Bible says that life has meaning. That means that death has meaning also. What is death biblically? It is a judgment from God to end human life. And we'll get talk about that more later. The Greeks had another idea about death. The Greeks of Paul's day believed that the human body was evil. And so the human body was kind of like a prison house that trapped the soul and the spirit inside of them. And the goal of life was to get out of that body. I don't know why they all didn't just kill themselves. The idea was to get released from prison, the body. The body was evil in their thinking. Well, the Bible says, no, that's not true. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that God created the human body. He took time to fashion it. And we know that everything that is created by God is good. In fact, our bodies are going to be raised from the dead and live forever. We're promised that as well. There are also many modern liberals in the liberal church that deny that man is sinful, that he's basically bad. They say, no, human beings are basically good. They deny our sinful nature. And so when someone dies, they just go back to that mantra again, we all go to a better place. They say that they go to a better place not because of Jesus, but because they said, because we're good and we deserve a better place. Now, they don't know this for sure. It's just a wish on their part. It's sort of political correctness gone into the next life. Don't you dare disagree. Otherwise, you'll be shouted down. Don't tell somebody they're going to go to hell. That's hateful. But the Bible does describe a terrible place many are going to go to after life. It's called a lake of fire. It's called the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's called a place where the worm continues to eat and never dies. We cannot go along with their mindless mantras. We must warn about the afterlife. And then other believers, and we'll end with this, have a false teaching called soul sleep. Again, we mentioned that. But they'll read one verse in the Bible that says somebody died and they fell asleep. You know, the Bible says that many, many times, that death is like falling asleep. Acts chapter 7 and verse 60, for example, or Acts chapter 13 and verse 36, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 30. Many Old Testament verses will say something like, so-and-so slept with his fathers and was buried. 
and they conclude that's it. We have no consciousness beyond the grave. We just kind of lay there until the time of the resurrection. And they brush aside all of the verses that disagree with that conclusion. All of the clear passages that say we're going to be awake and we're going to be conscious and we're going to feel things and know things and see things after death. Jesus told the thief on the cross, and Pastor Kirby preached on this last Sunday, right? Today you will be with me in paradise. That doesn't sound like soul sleep. Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21, to die is gain. That doesn't sound like sleeping would be gain. Remember Stephen, when he was being stoned to death in Acts 7, as he was dying, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That doesn't sound like he's about to go to sleep for a thousand years. Moses certainly did not sleep when he was seen alive and conscious and talking on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17, verse 3. And if we had time, I'd take you to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, but I'll just read it for now and we'll get to it next week. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 8. It says, Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? We don't sleep at death. We're absent from the body and present with the Lord. That describes our soul and our spirit. Amen to that. Even James chapter 2 and verse 26 says explicitly that the body without the spirit is dead. It loses the spirit at death. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting things that happen at death. And uh, all of that was just to lay it out for you so you come back next Sunday. And we began talking in detail about what actually does happen. We don't have all of the details we want to hear, but we have some really interesting insights from the Word of God that we can piece together. And I think for the believer, it is truly exciting. It really, it really takes away the fear of death and gets us excited about living more and more for the Lord. And God willing, we'll get to that next week. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for uh, your word and beginning to probe this, this uh, issue. Uh, Lord, we're grateful also for uh, our families that raise children to learn these very truths, that believing in Jesus Christ is, is so important and that they want their home to be Christian. And we're grateful for this opportunity, Lord, to, to just see some of the homes that dedicate their children uh, to you and their home to be a Christian home in the context of a church. We're grateful, Lord, that we can learn these truths about life and death together, that we can have fellowship with one another and affirm these truths from your word with one another. And Father, we pray that you help us as we go through this series to handle your word accurately and learn all we can about life after life and um, all that we can do to live for you in this present life without the fear of death. For so we have preached and so we have prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.